Well, take your Bibles out. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Your Bibles, your iPads, your phones, your Android devices, whatever you have. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be talking this morning about a big four-letter word. It's a good four-letter word, not a bad one. It's one of the ones that we like here in church and that we should live our lives by, and that is the word love. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about love. There's a lot of things about love that, that are true, but they're not the whole picture of love, and they're definitely not the whole picture of the love that Paul is calling the Corinthian church to today, but really, in essence, God is calling us as his kids to live this type of a life of love. Where there's, there's a kind of love that's like, you know, we throw it around for all reasons, you know? Love is like a universal term. We can, we can use it for like my friends I hang out with and I surf with, surf with, right? Oh, I love those guys. I love to hang out with them. Oh, that's cool. Oh, and I, and I love... Uh, I love apple pie. Apple pie is good. I love apple pie, right? It tastes so good. And then there's like love for your wife, like in your marriage, right? When the lights go out and there's a special love that we know is God provided for us inside the confines of marriage, man and woman, right? We know that love, right? And we shouldn't be tasting too much of that love without being married. Amen? That's what God says is the best love for us. But we know there's the romantic kind of love, and we know there's a, there's a love for friends that we hang out with, and there's a love for puppies and a love for apple pie, and we just have all of this love, right? Well, today in Scripture, Paul is calling us to a special kind of love that is actually a higher love, a higher form than all of this other stuff. All that other stuff is real. Love is a choice. Love is based on feelings. But there's times that love isn't just based on feelings, right? Because my wife loves me, romantic thoughts and feelings, but when we wake up in the morning and I got bad breath and I roll over, good morning, honey, there's, there's love. It's not the romantic feeling right there at that moment. It's like a choice, like, oh, man, I'm with this guy, right? But this is a deeper, bigger, higher love that we're talking about in Scripture. It's the Greek word agape. You guys have heard that word before, agape. It's a very famous word, but it's a real deal. It's the, the type of love that Paul's calling us to, and Scripture calls us to, that is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, and it's the highest form of love. And really, Jesus was the ultimate model of this higher love for us. That God the Father modeled this agape love for us. Did you realize that if you're not a Christian, there's no possible way that you can really understand this word agape and what that type of love is about. What we're talking about here today is for those that know Christ. The only way that you can know this type of love is if you see it modeled in your life by Christ, selflessly sacrificing his own body, his life, to give it up so that we could know God. Right? God said, I created a relationship with everybody. Adam, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, we're supposed to be in this thing together. I love you, you love me. The problem is mankind went astray. We wanted to do our own thing, right? We wanted to live life on our own. And so because of that, God says, I'm going to do something that's going to show you a new type of love that you don't know. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to show you a love that says you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. I'm going to send my one and only son to die on a cross for you guys when all you ever did was turn your back on me and live for yourself. I love you that much. So when you become a Christian, that's when you really understand what agape love is because Jesus modeled it for you. And I don't know about you, but if, if someone were to ask me all of the list of things that I've done wrong, wrong in my life and I start looking at things I've said, people that I've hurt, stupid decisions that I've made, times that I've acted in anger and selfishness and the times I've done all this, there's a big long list that I feel guilty about and it's a bummer. But you know what I understand now is there is a God in heaven that sent his son Jesus to completely in agape love erase all of that stuff if I would but begin a relationship with him. He forgave me. That's, we have to know God's love before we can have true agape love for one another. But here's the question we asked this morning. How many of you have people in your lives, right, that test your patience? 
Who are the people in your life that put that agape love to the test? Who are the people you got in your life? I want to hear some answers right now. Who are the people? Uh oh. oh. <laughs> I just heard about three ladies in perfect synchronization say, my husband. <laughs> just to balance it out, how many men want to say, my All right, thank you. Just to even the odds a little bit. Let's be fair, right? Who else in your life pushes your buttons and, and tests your patience? Let's hear some. Okay, well, how about one at a time? Because I just heard, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let me see some hands so I can pick some. Okay. Family. That's a big one. We agree. Family knows us so well, they know the secret buttons to press, and they love to press them, don't they? Who else in your life? Let me see a hand. Your kids, right? That includes your family. But last night, I was, I was sharing this morning right here, we were talking about family, and I said, you came to my house last night, you wouldn't know I'm a pastor. I'm uh, sorry, man. My kids were going, and I was like, oh, this is hard, right? They're pushing my buttons. Who else in your life pushes your buttons? Mother-in-law. Mother okay, more family. She's not here today, is she? Okay, she's not watching online. Sorry, mom. Uh, someone else? Drunk drivers. Drunk drivers. Oh. Oh, bad driver. Drunk drivers qualify. That's good. <laughs> Junk drivers, drunk drivers, all of those kind of drivers. Yes? Co-workers. Anybody? You don't work with the greatest people in the world? You know, you're kind of like, don't lie. Don't lie. You guys know. Come on. Barb. The IRS. The IRS. <laughs> Unless in the case of Jared, who said, like, I got all these tax returns, right? That's awesome, but usually not so much, right? But think about the people in your life that really test your patience. And yet, here's God, what we're talking about today. We get into 1 Corinthians 13. Selfless, unconditional love for people that don't deserve it. That's the kind of love that Paul is calling us to have love for one another with. That he's actually saying, you gotta try your best to love the IRS with agape <laughs> love. Try your best with mother-in-law and kids and whatever. God's saying, to be really a Christian, you're gonna have to put this to the test, and it's hard. But this is the kind of love that isn't just a romantic love. It's love as a choice. It's love for puppies and butterflies. This is the kind of love that is the real deal. And God is saying, this is the kind of love. And for me to love those kind of people in my life, I don't need the love that I know, that I understand. I need a higher love. Amen? Amen. Don't we need that? We need a higher love. There it is now. Come on. Come on, sing along, you know it. Steve Winwood, everyone. Chaka Khan. That's what we need, right? Higher love. That's what we're talking about here today. See, I was putting together this sermon, and I, when I put together the sermon, I study different things, and different music inspires me. And I, I'm sorry, but I have a love for the 1980s music. Anybody in the house? Come on, the 80s, right? The weird hairstyles and the neon and all of that. We were right there, weren't we? The hammer pants and everything. So in, in my uh, preparation this past week for putting together this, this sermon, I'm, I'm looking at love, and I couldn't help but think higher love. Oh, there's a song about that, isn't there, right? And so I have to use it. I'm sorry, I got a love for this stuff. I was in a Michael Jackson mood, actually, and that's what was, that was causing me to think of the 80s. So as I was preparing the sermon, I was listening to Billie Jean, and I was listening to Man in the Mirror and all this. Sorry, that's just how I roll. But um, so I, I wanted to make the point, and I want that to stick in your head. We need a higher love. We need agape love. We need a love that is from above that we don't have the power to do on our own. That God is calling us to a higher love, and yet the awesome thing about God is 
He's equipped us and empowered us to do so. It's really hard to, to live out this kind of a love, and yet he goes, that's why I gave you the helper. Who is the helper? The Holy Spirit. And we've been talking, Paul's been talking about all the gifts and how they work in our lives, how we need the Holy Spirit. And now he says, the reason you need the Holy Spirit is none of the gifts are cool at all unless they're rooted in love. And the only way you can have love is if you have the power of the Spirit operating in your life. Look at, um, starting in 1 Corinthians, getting into this. Actually, start in the end, ending sentence in chapter 12, verse 31. And then we're going to read the first few verses of, of chapter 13. It says, but now let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. You know what? If you have a pen or a highlighter, circle that, highlight that, copy and paste in your phone, whatever. When the Bible tells us the words that say, here's a way of life that is the best of all, isn't that something that you ought to pay attention to? Yes or no? When the Bible says, oh, by the way, do you want to have the best life possible? No, that's cool. I'm just going to skip over that one. We don't do that, right? We're like, wait, what? You know what Paul is saying right here? Chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. If you want to have the best life possible, then listen to what comes after this. We got to perk up our ears and go, wait, he just said to get the very best life, this is the way to do it. We should be studying this, and we're going to work our way through this today, but I don't want it to be like the chapter that you guys all go, oh, yeah, I know that chapter, love is patient, love is kind, blah, 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 blah. God wants us to stop on these things and look and put them into perspective and say, this is the best way of life. Do you understand that? Here's what Paul says as he gets into the best way of life. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, if I could speak everyone's human language, I could speak in tongues, I could speak everything, but I didn't love others, then I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, which is a good gift, we've been talking about that, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. He's saying, you know what? All of these gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, faith, all of this stuff, without love, it's nothing. It's zero. Verse 3 says, if I gave everything I have to the poor. Well, that's a good thing, right? Generosity. And if I even sacrificed my body for the cause. Wow, you gave everything, you sacrificed, that's good. He says, then I could boast about it. Then you could say, it's me, look at me. Because he said, if I didn't have love for others, then I would have gained nothing. What Paul is saying here is crucial. He's saying for us as Christians, love has to be the most important thing in our lives. It has to be the foundation upon which every other decision that we make and every feeling that we have is based. And it's this kind of agape love that's a selfish um, not based on what you're going to get out of it from someone else. It's a kind of love that says, I'm doing this because God already did this for me, and I'm blown away, and I see it modeled, and he's asking that I would love other people and love him with this kind of love. I just got to do it. My whole life should revolve around this type of love. See, God himself doesn't say, like, you know what? You need to love other people because I'm loving too. God actually says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, right, he talks about, I'm telling you to love other people because I myself am love. And if you interact with me, you, this love is going to rub off on you. If you say you love me and you have a relationship with me, I am love. God, by his very nature, is love. So we can't help but be affected by that and have that kind of love for other people. And it really is this, this higher love. It's a big deal. Here's a problem. God, in all of his heavenly glory and all of his creating of us and the earth and everything, he really, to be honest, he doesn't need us. Would you guys agree on that? God doesn't really need us, Right? He created us because he wanted to have fellowship and everything. He doesn't really need us, and yet what we read in Scripture is he wants us always. He 
He wants us. See, that's agape love says, I don't really get anything out of it from you. I'm God. I, I got everything I need. I created it, whatever. I don't really need you, but I want you. That's agape love. The problem with us is we really need God, right? Because we're in trouble. We've, we've broken relationship with God. We need God, but most of the time we don't really want God. We don't really want him. I need him, but you know what? What I want from God is the stuff he can give for me, to me. I want God for what he can do for me. And see, there's the disconnect. There's the problem is we don't really live in this agape love. We, we live in a love that says, I want God when it's convenient for me or when I'm hanging off the side of a cliff and I need to be, you know, saved or my, all my money's gone, that's when I need God. But agape love is, I just want you. I love you, God, even when you're not doing anything for me. I just want you. And he wants us to have this kind of love for those around us in the body of Christ. He's saying this is the kind of love that we ought to be practicing from those around us. He says, you know, the spiritual gifts, they're cool. Prophecy, all of that stuff, speaking in tongues, knowledge, and all that faith. He goes, that's really good. But really, all they are is a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. They're a loud noise, they're a flash in the pan, but then they come to nothing. And, you know, I think about it this way, is if we came to worship God this morning, and in the worship set, Trevor gets up here to sing, and there's no other instruments except snake on the drums. Where are you, snake? Over there. And all snake is doing is just banging a gong once in a while. Isn't there a song about that too? Get it on, bang a gong. Sorry, I digress. But if snake was just sitting up here, and all he was doing to lead us into worship was like, okay, let's, let's sing God is able. And you just hear, bong! And that's it, or just one cymbal crash. Psh, right? And that wasn't even that loud and that good. But imagine if all that you heard was that. See, what he's trying to make the point of is spiritual gifts are cool. They do something. They make a noise. They do something. They bring something to attention. But if there's no love motivating it and there's no foundation of love behind it, then it's just a flash in the pan and it's you just showing off the gifts. You guys get where I'm, I'm coming with this thing? Here's Paul saying that there's good things that we can do sometimes, but if, we're, if love isn't the motivation for the people we're doing them to, then it's a waste of time. If we're not really caring about the people we're ministering to, we're just trying to look cool and operating in a spiritual gift, then, then Paul's like, might as well just bang a gong and clang a cymbal because it's a loud thing and then it goes away and it's worth nothing. There's a story that I know of a person that, that told me, hey, at our church one Sunday, this guy came and he had the gift of prophecy. He could, he could basically, he was speaking words into people's lives that God was giving him that were really true in their lives, right? And so he came into church and he was new. He, no one knew him or whatever. He came in. He found a girl. He felt like God gave a, a word to him. He went up to the girl, and he just goes, God's telling me to say this. Brrr, said it, right? And the people around were like, well, who's this guy? But, oh, what are you saying? It's legit. It's true. Wow, that's real in her life. But this is, then he just goes, okay, that's it, and he walked away. And the reaction to that was that this girl went running out of church, and she said, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't know what's going on there. I'm out of here. And the people had to go trace her down and try to, try to bring her back in, and they couldn't. She left. She never came back. You know what the problem was? The gift was right. The gift in itself was a word of prophecy. It was real. They tested it. They said, that's good. But the motivating force was not love. He didn't really love this person and try to help her life. He just went in to show off on his gifts. You guys see where I'm coming from? The gifts are good and they're cool. But if you're not using them in love, you're just trying to show off a godly gift. That he should have come in and said, hey, I'm new here. No one knows me. Let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. Can I get to know you? You know, I feel like God is giving me a word for you. Are you even open to that to begin with? And if she said no, then you back off because she's not, not ready for it. But out of love and respect for her, you go, are you ready to hear this? Can I, can I tell you this? Tell you the word and say, how does that sit with you? Can you confirm it with any of your friends? Are you even okay with this? 
that's a heart of love, isn't it? When we use the gifts properly, we're looking out for the best interests of other people. We're not just coming along, showing up, a flash in the pan, a hit on the cymbal, a, a, a noisy gong, right? He's saying love has to motivate everything that we do. Love isn't just a part of our life. Love is our life. And we're to live a, the total life of love in everything that we do. He says, even if I gave everything away and I was self-sacrifice, I, I sacrificed myself for the cause, all of that good action, that generosity, that self-sacrifice, he says, what could happen? I could boast about it. Even all that good stuff that you do could turn into, look how awesome I am. Look how good I am. If you don't have love as a motivating force, you're going to focus yourself on, on you. Look at all the good I just did. I'm such a sacrificer. I'm a giver, right? And you're all excited about you, and God's going, love is not about you. It's about what you can do for other people. So we have to have love here. He goes on and he, and he, and into the next verse, and he's, and he's talking about how we get there, right? He's talking about this action, what God is calling us to, this agape love. It is definitely difficult. Would you guys agree? Living a life of full agape, selfless love for one another is hard. It's a fight. It's a struggle. It demands action. But let's be serious. Love is a battlefield. Amen? Come on. Love is a battlefield. We are young. Come on. You heard, straight from Pat Benatar's mouth, 1983, <laughs> love is a battlefield, and it gets hard, and here Paul describes it, but this is where the, the truth in Scripture becomes real in our lives, is Paul is saying, oh, you don't really understand the agape love? Let me put it into action. Let me tell you what it should look like in your life, and if you think like, oh, I don't need this. I know I'm doing a good job already. Here's what I would ask you to do, and I love this that we always teach this lesson. Put your name in this scripture everywhere where it says love and ask yourself, how am I doing on this? Carl is patient and kind. Oh, I broke it already. And we we're only on the first verse, right? <laughs> Carl is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude, right? This is, when, this is a good checkup list for, for us, for Paul saying, are you really living the agape love for other people in their lives? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Ouch, that one hurts. Yeah? That means quick-tempered. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That love is all about the truth, not sweeping stuff under the rug because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but bringing it out, talking it through, and overcoming it. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. The thing about love, why it's such a battlefield, is because it's hard, because you have to walk it out. It's not just a decision you make. You have to live it every single day with every person in your life. And it's hard, but praise God, we've been given the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us through it. But we have to really choose to live it out, don't we? It's not enough to say we're a good Christian. We gotta live this stuff out, and Paul just describes what it looks like to really, to really be a Christian, to know that you are saved, to know that you're walking in love, it has to affect your behavior. It has to affect your behavior. Because if the Holy Spirit is doing a new work and, and regeneration in you and he's giving you all these gifts of the Spirit and you're living by the Spirit, not by the flesh anymore, then it's gotta show. It's gotta be proven. And it's a hard thing. But look at some of the stuff he says. I wanna I want just break this down into how does this apply to normal life on the day-to-day? -day? Because that's what we're all about here at church is let's take the truths of God and let's apply it to our lives so that we can walk this thing out. It's hard. It is a battlefield, but we're gonna get into this. 
I like when it says right here, I'm going to go through some of these. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know what kindness is? Kindness is doing nice things for people even though they don't even deserve it. Just going out of your way to be nice to other people. You know, it's the kind of niceness that I see in church, the kindness that I see in churches when there's people that come to church and they're new all the time. And you know how it is to be new to anywhere, right? To work, the new kid in class, the new person at church, the new couple or family. What I see as kindness in this church is exhibited in the kind of people that they're talking to me, but they always got this roaming eye. And even this morning, I saw, I saw one of our guys, I don't want to name names or anything. There was a conversation going on, and I saw the guy standing here, and he looked. He's got the eye for the new people. Oh, I walked over. Hey, you look lost. Are you new here? How can I help you out? I thought, man, that's kindness. You went out of your way. You're in your clique talking to your group who you already love, but someone else out there needs your love. Someone else out there needs to be invited and welcomed in to this church family. Amen? It's, it's good that we have it, but we're called upon to share it. And so it's kindness is looking out for the new people around in life. Kindness is giving people compliments, right? Hey, that's a nice shirt you're wearing today. Or I noticed that you went and greeted that new people. Hey, thank you for doing such a good job on the cameras today or the soundboard or whatever you're doing. Thank you and just complimenting people. We forget that, right? But we know how much a compliment does for us. We need to just go out of our way to be kind to people. I always say this in the relationship series that we talk about is my wife exhibits kindness to me in the little things. It's the little things that I appreciate. The little things like whenever we buy taco pokey or ahi pokey, she picks all the onions out of the pokey for me before giving to me, right? I mean, this is like, whoa, that's cool, right? The first time I remember she did it, I got the, the pokey. I'm like, oh, I love pokey. Oh, this one's awesome. They didn't even put onions in it because onions are my nemesis. <laughs> onions are basically my arch enemy, and I really despise, like, onions, and inside my poke, I was, I'm always bummed, and so one time it came, and I just thought, wow, where's this place? They don't even put the onions inside, and she goes, oh, no, I picked them out for you, and I was like, oh, you know, my heart just melts. <laughs> I married the right one. Thank you, Lord, you know? That's kindness. That's us as Christians exhibiting agape love, where we go out of our way to just be nice to people, even if they don't deserve it, even if they're not getting anything in return. You just exhibit kindness. My wife told me once she went to the hardware store. She brought in one of our screen doors. She goes, you were on vacation, or no, you were, where was I? I was in Japan or something on a mission trip. She goes, I took our screen door. I was tired of it. It was cut or whatever. She, I took it to the hardware store. I bent it to fit in the car, took it to the hardware store. They put a new screen on, but now that it's fixed, it's not going to bend, right? She's like, how do I get into the car? And she said she was struggling over there, and some guy that was just random in the parking lot said, you know what, you're never going to do that without breaking that thing. Just put it in my truck, I'll follow you home, and I'll take it up and put it in your house because I would want someone to do that for my wife. And she goes, that's kindness. Someone going out of their way just to say, I'll help you because it's the right thing to do. This is the agape love that we need to have. Am I getting through to you guys here? We don't gloss over these scriptures. We take them and we look at what it means to be kind. We look at what it means to be not boastful. What, being not boastful means not looking at your position as be better than anyone else's. How do you speak to the lost, the last, and the least, the lowest in society? How do you speak to people that you don't think are as smart as you, that you don't think dress as nicely as you or drive as nice a car of you? Maybe they're people that um, are a little bit uh, disabled in some way. Maybe they're people that are slower. Maybe they're kids who are younger than you or just people younger than you. How do you relate to people like that? Because if you walk into those relationships knowing that you're better and you're better looking and you're more money and you're all of that, you're boasting, right? Everybody's at a different walk in life. No one is better in the family of God. How do you 
talk to those people. I love to see people who come to my kids and talk to them at the level that they're at. Hey, how's it going today? What's going on? Right? And they just talk to kids. I'm like, that's cool. You don't have to do that because you're a mature adult and all of this stuff, but you come to their level. That's being unboastful. That's agape love in action right there. And I think that's something that we need to make sure we practice. Who is our greatest audience? Those around us or us ourselves? Because I always think I'm the coolest guy around, right? It's like I'm, I'm my greatest fan, you know? And it's like, that's boastful. And, and, and are the people in my life listening to something I have to say or am I boasting and, and lording it over them? But he says, don't be like that. Don't be proud. It's interesting the word that they use in the Greek for proud here. This Greek word is found only seven times in the entire New Testament here. And six of those times are in this letter to the Corinthians. How many of you guys know the Corinthians must have had some problems with their pride, yeah? If Paul uses this word out of seven times in the New Testament, six of them are on this church, right? And I think he's actually making a statement that speaks for all Christians is maybe he needs to drive this point home. Maybe we kind of sit in our pride a little bit too much and we think too well of ourselves and everybody else that does something different from us, they're wrong and I'm right, right? You, you know when you come into a relationship that you have to humble yourself. When you get married, there's stuff that you have to compromise. I was thinking about that this morning as I sat down in the morning preparing for church this morning and I realized that the toilet paper roll sitting there next to me this morning, right, was rolled out the opposite way that it usually rolls. Anybody get bugged by that? <laughs> and my way is roll off the top. And so, so apparently, Kanani puts it on roll off the bottom. And I was mad because my way is right, right? Because that's how I roll. <laughs> and you got it wrong, and I'm not so sure I want to do that. But you know what that is? That's pride. Because what's the difference? You know, the main thing, it does its job, and I'm happy, and it's there, right? <laughs> But this is pride, and we got to check ourselves. And this is what Paul's saying. Agape love is you check yourself on this stuff. You're not the smartest, the best. Make allotments for one another. Don't be rude. The Corinthian church had problems with, with being rude to one another, didn't they? Remember the past few chapters? They were comparing and judging each other. My spiritual gifts are better than your gifts. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Jesus. Oh, sorry, yeah. Right? They were bickering about all this stuff. They were being rude. You know what? I'm taking up a lawsuit with you. And Paul's going, why would you do that? Your family. Deal with it together as family. Why you got to take it to the outside courts, right? He's going, they had a problem with being rude, and don't be rude. He's telling us of this. Agape love is not rude. You make allowances. You're sensitive. You're courteous to one another. If you got to get through in a disagreement and a fight, you do it, but you come out of it in love. Don't need to be rude. Cut people off mid-sentence. That kind of a thing is be courteous to people. Love, true love, is not irritable. And that's a tough one for a lot of us. It's just saying being quick-tempered being quick to just, you know, snap at someone, right? Someone starts to tell you something, you hear the facts, you instantly get mad. You cut them off mid-sentence, you're just like, Rarrr! and then they go, oh, let me tell you the rest of the story. They tell you the rest of the story and you find out you were dead wrong, right? And you're like, oh, man. But that's because we get irritable and we want to jump to conclusions and we want to just be grumpy in, in life. And God's saying, pray for the calm and the peace of the Holy Spirit to rest upon your life. That's agape love for one another. Wait till you hear the whole story before you jump to conclusions and you, you snap at people. Because true love keeps no record of wrongs. That means you get into a disagreement with someone, you make up, you forgive, and you forget about it. You don't bring up the past. That's a hard one for a lot of us, but isn't that something that we would want of other people? Please don't bring up my past, right? The problem is with us is we tend to bring people's past up. Don't bring up other people's past because Jesus doesn't bring up your past. Remember that. There's so much that Jesus, if he wanted to, he could bring up in my life. Carl, remember when you were 18 years old and you did this stupid thing? Ah, oh, right? Why do I do that to other people that I'm supposed to love? 
Don't bring up people's past. Forgive and forget. Keep no record of wrongs. Don't be counting all the times your husband did this, your wife did that. You know the, the two of the worst phrases that we use when we fight with other people is, you always do this or you never do that. They're just broad, general, negative universalisms that are basically saying you can't win because you're just always a loser, right? You've always done that. You've never done that. That's not fair. That's keeping record of wrongs. That's making up an eternal record of wrong that there's no way anybody could overcome that because it's an always and a never. It's an absolute. We need to not use those words when we fight. Don't keep record of people's wrongs. You got to go through it and you got to bring tough love sometimes, but get over it and, and move on with life. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. If you're living in true love, you get through the problem and you move on and you don't bring it up anymore. And I like that it says right after that, that, it's, it, that love rejoices in truth. You know what that says to me? What is absolute truth? The word of God. It never fails, it never changes. And if someone's got a hard time or a disagreement or they're going through something, the best thing that I can speak to someone else is, hey, go read your Bible. Hey, let's dig in the word of God together. God's always right, I'm wrong most of the time, actually, sorry, right? But go to that person and say, what does the word of God have to say? It, chances are, any problem you have, God has an answer for. And so we rejoice in truth and we push truth on people. That's really loving one another. It's not the advice of my opinion, Dr. Phil, Oprah, whatever. It's God knows what's up, let's go seek out his word. And I believe that sometimes when we, when we give the truth, that it means being honest and real with, with other people. Ephesians 4 said that we're to, to speak the truth in love. That means that we would care enough about others to confront people. And a lot of times we don't want to do that. We don't want to rock the boat, but there's, there's two reactions we can have when it comes to conflict. Someone sins against you, you can either say, you know what, I want the short-term gain. I want the short-term gain, gain, which would be, I'm not going to talk it up to you about it, I'm not going to bring it up, because it could risk a fight, so I'm going to sweep it under the rug. But you know what happens with the short-term short -term gain? gain? I keep mixing that up is that the person that keeps sinning against you will continue to sin against you because no one has told them likewise. You will continue to be mad about it and a seed of bitterness will grow in you and it'll just get ugly in the long term. I'm after long-term gain in my relationships with others that means I'm gonna speak the truth in love to others and I want them to speak the truth in love to me even if it's hard to hear. If I'm speaking the truth and saying it's based on God's word, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, in the short term, I'm risking conflict. You might not like what I have to say. There's a risk that's involved. But ultimately, if, it, if all things go as planned, you're going to stop and repent for the stuff that you were doing to wrong me. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to get that off my chest. In the long run, we both win. Does that make sense? We as a people group, especially in Hawaii, because there's the whole shame, honor thing, we got to get to the point that we're not Hawaii culture, we're Jesus culture. Jesus culture, the word of God goes above any type of, of culture that says shame, honor. No, it says love people enough to confront them and speak the truth in love. And not in a way that you're going to be mean and I'm better than you, but a way that says, let's get through this. Let's just put this behind us because we love each other and that you would get real and you get honest. See, 1 Corinthians 5.12 tells us, Paul says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, those outside the church, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. It says, take a stand for what's right. Not that you lord it over anybody with a bad attitude, but if you're doing it in love as your motivating force, it's going to work out. You're, you might have to beef a little bit, but you're going to come out of it loving each other and forgiving each other and walking in freedom. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It's better just to get into it, get through it, and then love each other in the long term. Amen?
It's a hard word to hear, and some of you guys are going, amen, kind of, right? No, we got to believe this. This is God's word here telling us about agape love. It says that love never loses faith. It never gives up. What I take that to mean is that love is built on trust. And as we all know, trust takes time. But here's the challenge. Take the time to build the trust in your relationships. It's worth it. Take the time. Take the time to trust people. Because there's no better words that I ever hear in my life. It's not, I love you. That's great words. But again, that gets tainted and watered down and used so much that sometimes it's, it's hard to really understand what that means in my life. And I, I appreciate it and I take it whenever you say it or my wife or whatever. It's, it's good. But you know what's really encouraging words in my, my life? I believe in you, Carl. Oh, that does something for me. Doesn't it do that for you? When someone comes along and they go, you know what? I trust you. I have faith in you. I believe in you. To quote Bobby Boucher and the water boy, you can do it, right? You guys, Adam Sandler, everyone in the house. Come on, Adam Sandler fans, the water boy. You guys remember the movie? This is some high quality H2O, right? My favorite line is, you can do it, right? The guy yelled at, you can do it. But that is so encouraging. That is love personified in our lives when we can tell each other, you can do it. I believe in you. I have faith in you. I'm not giving up in you. How often do you say that to people? We ought to say that a lot more to those people in our lives just to bring encouragement. And it says love, true love, agape love, always endures. It perseveres. The word here literally means to remain steadfast in the face of unpleasant circumstances. To truly love someone, that means you hold on to that relationship even when the ride is a little rough and a little rocky. Here's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 9.22. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. That means in the midst of conflict in your relationship, friendships, marriages, whatever, when there's maybe gossip flying out around, when there's things that have been said, that you don't throw in the towel and that you don't give up. But you remain steadfast in the face of sometimes ugly circumstances that you hold on because you know it's worth holding on to because we're family, because God did it for me. I got I to gotta do that for other people. You hold on when that stuff flies around. You, you might have to beef it out. You might have to bring repentance. You might have to get embarrassed and, embarrassed and risk shame and all that stuff. It's worth it because we want godly relationships where people are real with one another and they hold on and they're made to last. Sometimes the hardest thing that you have to do is you can't even talk to people the, the last thing that you can do to hold on is simply to sit quietly by and to pray for that person, right? There's sometimes when things have gotten so hard in the relationship, you can't even find words. And so the way that you hold on is by simply at home going, God, I pray for this relationship. I pray for that person. I pray for me to hold on because I'm gonna hold on because that's what your love demands of me. That's what you did on the cross for me. Amen? Amen. We gotta hold on. It's worth holding on to. The reason it's worth holding on to is one day we're gonna see love fully revealed. Do you, do you realize that? That if God is love and all we have is a taste of his love on earth right now, one day we're gonna get to heaven and Paul ends it with this hope for us. He says, one day you're gonna see what you only kind of see now. We're gonna go face to face with God of heaven and what's gonna be completely magnified and revealed to us all for all of eternity is what? The glory of love. And you know what's coming. <laughs>
Bye, Ralph Macchio. <laughs> we don't know what happened to you, where you are anymore, but you were cool in the 80s. Um, the glory of love, and this is how Paul ends it, because I think this is so cool. I was on an 80s kick, I told you guys. But this is how Paul ends it, because he said, all of this striving and all this working, it is hard, it's a battlefield, you know, and it's, and it's tough to do, but hang on, keep pressing, because one day we're going to all get up there to heaven, and we're going to see what love is really all about. Amen? God is going to be there, and we're going to be basking in the glory of his love like a suntan. Give me that God tan front, back, you know, whatever. I want it, God. I want to be in your presence. And this is the hope that we have to keep holding on. Look at what it says in the last few verses. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will someday become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of what the whole picture is. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love. You know why the, re the reason the greatest of these is love? is because faith and hope are grounded in love itself. You can't really have faith and hope if you don't understand what love is. That's why he says, love is the one thing that will remain, so that's why love is worth fighting for. When we get to heaven, you're not gonna need spiritual gifts because there's the Holy Spirit right there. We're not gonna need to know all this stuff, but the one thing that will last through all of eternity, God's love for us, our love for each other, and our love for him. That's amazing that we're going to get to see the glory of God revealed someday. I, don't, I can't even fathom it, what it's going to be like and how good it's going to be. It's not easy having agape love for other people, but it's worth it. And so we keep pressing on because the gifts that are given, we need to use them because they're for building up and edifying the church. The church is not fully grown up and mature yet. One day in heaven we will be, but for now we need the gifts. Paul himself said this, I got to keep pressing on. Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's basically saying, it's hard, but I keep pressing in. I keep working at it because one day I'm gonna see that it was all, we did it all for the glory of love, right? That one day it's gonna all become worthwhile. What we see in life right now and the, the job that we have to play and the love we have for one another is literally like this, frame to frame, day to day. And we struggle and we wonder, why is it so hard? But really, this is one frame in the whole movie reel of eternity that is God and his relationship with mankind. You guys believe that? We get so caught up in, why is my life like this? Really, that's just one frame in the whole overall picture. We've got to look with eternal eyes and realize one day we're going to get to heaven and the Holy Spirit's going to roll out the whole movie of everything. And we're going to realize the little part we had to play in it. And you know when we see the real image and, and amazingness of the glory of God's love? We're not going to be watching it from frame to frame. We're going to be putting on 3D glasses, right? High definition, huge screen, Blu-ray, 3D, the whole deal. That's God's love for us, amen? Oh my gosh, I can't wait till that day. But until then, I'm going to keep pressing in. Like Paul said, I'm going to keep on going for it, and I'm going to practice to have, having this agape love that I can't do on my own, but thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers me to do so. Isn't that a good word this morning? Oh, we keep pressing for God's love. Let's bow our heads and pray. And we got another service coming up here soon. So you guys are going to have to move your cars. But let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word that speaks to us with clarity, that challenges us on those, the day-to-day -day issues, Father God. We don't want to ever gloss over 1 Corinthians 13 and think we know it all. We've been there, done that. Lord, it, it's real and it's raw and it's rough sometimes. 
Lord, it is, it is effort, and it's demanding. But, Lord, we promise you that we are going to do this because it's worth fighting for. We thank you that your Holy Spirit helps us and empowers us to do so. But, Lord, we want to make a difference in this world through our actions, that the world would know us through our love for one another. Lord, help us to have this kind of love. I pray that you would convict us of those areas where we're struggling. Maybe some of us in this room are saying, I have been rude. I have been boastful. I have been irritable. Lord, we want to give those things to you right now. Lay them at your feet. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, you would take those things and burn them up out of our lives. Lord, you'd bring healing instead and that you would fill those weak areas, Father God, where we doubt and we don't trust others, we don't trust you. Lord, that you would fill that with a firm belief and a love for you, Father God. That you would give us all of your spiritual gifts. That you would allow us by your grace and power at work in our lives to have this kind of agape love for one another, Lord. Help us walk this out in our daily lives. And Lord, right now, if there's anybody in the church, we're praying. If there's people here that you're in a position of saying, man, that sounds good, I want that, but I don't even know because I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't even know if I've, I've got God in my life to help me do all of that stuff. But you're sitting here right now and you're going, I think it's time that I said yes to God and I took a step of faith into following him and his ways his love for my life, realizing that he doesn't demand anything from me other than to say yes to him and let his work begin in my life. If that's you this morning, I want to say a prayer, a prayer with you that would allow you to enter into the family of God for all of eternity. But the prayer is only the first step in a life lived for him. But you got to take that first step. And I want to lead you in that first step that would really just allow you to say yes to God and surrender yourself and repent to the way you're living for yourself and really choose to live for him. And what we're going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It should be real simple, but it's really from the heart here. That I'm going to say some words out loud in this prayer to lead you into a relationship with Christ, your start here today. But I'm going to ask that you would speak those words to God in your heart. I'm not going to ask you to pray them out loud in front of all these people. That might be tough for you this morning. But I'm going to pray some words, and I'm going to ask that you would agree with these words. Make these the words in your heart to God, and you will start a relationship with him in doing so. And he will lead you on this incredible journey and then you begin to walk out your faith day to day to day. But here's what I want you to do. With everyone seated around you, their eyes are closed, their heads are bowed. If you would like to make Jesus the Lord of your life today and you would like to begin walking out your faith with him and for him and through him, and you'd like to say this prayer with me, I'm gonna count to three. And when I count to three, I'm just gonna ask that you'd raise your hand just to signal to me, hey, pastor, I'm praying that prayer with you. I'm saying yes to Jesus this morning. I'm giving him control of my life. If that's what you want to do, the people seated around you don't see you, but I want to see you because I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm stoked for the decision you're making. I just want to know who I'm praying with here today, and I want to be proud of what is happening here, and I want to honor that. So when I count to three right now in a minute, I'm going to ask that on three, you would raise your hand and let me know that you're praying with me, and then we'll pray together. Real simple. Ready? One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you in the room right now. Hold it up. I want to see them. I see one. I see two. I see three. I'm looking around. If there's anybody I missed, I see four. Anybody else as I'm looking around, best decision you will ever make. One, two, three, four, five. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for those five people. If that was you, put your hand down and just pray this with me in your heart. Lord, quite simply, I'm here today and I realize that I need you. I need you in my life. I need you in, in my decision-making. I need you in the things of my heart. Lord, I need you in every aspect of my life. And Lord, I'm saying yes to whatever you have for me. Lord, I'm telling you that I believe that Jesus died on that cross for my sins, that he paid the price for them, and then he conquered my sin, death, and shame by raising on the third day from the dead and overcoming all of that stuff, Lord, so that I can be free. Lord, I fully accept the price that was paid for me. Lord, I tell you right now, I surrender my life. Lord, I repent. I turn away 
from the life I've been living for myself from this moment on, Lord, I promise I will live for you all the days of my life. Lord, I accept all that you have for me. Lord, I want to be water baptized to symbolize this decision I'm making for you. I will get baptized, Lord. I promise to read my Bible to learn more about you and your truth. Lord, I promise to stay connected to the body of Christ, this church that, that teaches me how to be a better person and points me towards you. Lord, I pray that you would bestow upon me the power and the gifts of your Holy Spirit, Lord, because I need help and I want all the help that I can get, Lord. Basically, I'm saying I choose to lay my life down and follow you all the days of my life from here on out. Thank you for loving me, for accepting me, and for helping me to live for you. And in Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. amen. And we praise God for those people this morning. Amen.